Hello and welcome to New Deal Radio, a weekly podcast created by the New Deal Group and New Deal Political Action Committee. You can reach us at newdealnow.org and you can reach me, Robert Lucero, your humble host on New Deal Radio at robert at newdealgroup.com. To share our podcast with your friends, please tell them to look up New Deal Now or go to newdealnow.org. Please contact your representatives in Congress to get them to sponsor H.R. 6422, the call for a national infrastructure bank, the beginning of a real economic turnaround centered on New Deal policies for today. Welcome to New Deal Radio. Today is June 13th, 2020. We have a very special show for you today focusing on the crisis in the Navajo Nation. We have a full interview with Navajo Nation Council Delegate Nathaniel Brown. The Council of Delegates is the legislative branch of the Navajo Nation. I spoke with Council Delegate Brown on Friday, June 12th. But first, some of the numbers and facts. The total number of positive COVID-19 cases for the Navajo Nation has reached 6,378 as of June 11, 2020. About 3,000 people have recovered from the coronavirus on the largest reservation in the United States. In the Navajo Nation, this represents a 3.75% infection rate. Just by comparison, New York City's infection rate as of yesterday, June 12, was at 2.45%. This means that the current rate of infection per capita in the Navajo Nation is approximately 65% greater than in New York City. It is also the case that one-third of the residents of the Navajo Nation, citizens of the United States, do not have running water. This, of course, means that most extended families have members of their families that need help with water right now. There's a growing food emergency in the Navajo Nation. According to a CBS special report last month, Quote, the USDA has declared the Navajo Nation a food desert. Like many rural communities, the Navajo face other factors that contribute to high rates of health problems in the region. According to the USDA, the vast majority of the Navajo Nation is a so-called food desert, which is an area that has limited access to fresh, nutritious food. There are only 13 grocery stores in an area equal in size to Vermont, New Hampshire, and Massachusetts combined. We know the administration has been playing games with $8 billion that was supposed to go to Indian country. One tribe had to sue the government on behalf of all of Indian country to make sure that money was for tribal governments and not corporations posing as tribal entities. But on Wednesday, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin was asked about the release date for these funds by U.S. Senator Maria Cantwell of Washington in a committee hearing, and he had this to say. Another area that there are problems with is $8 billion for our tribal governments. And as somebody who represents 29 different uh, entities in the, in the Northwest, definitely want to see those dollars out the door. Can you tell me when the $8 billion for tribal governments will be distributed? Yeah, I'll tell you, the, the second tranche of that money is going to go out tomorrow. Uh, and that the only thing that is going to be held back at that point is the litigation issue associated with Alaska. Okay, on the tribal issue, you're saying? 
Yes. Okay. Yeah, but the, the money, the first tranche went out. The second tranche is literally going out tomorrow. Well, thank you. Or and actually, maybe Friday. I apologize. It's either tomorrow or Friday, but it okay. is going out. Well, I'm definitely going to. According to media reports from earlier this week, the $600 million to the Navajo Nation from the first tranche has not yet been seen in the communities in the Navajo Nation. Now the question is, what are our federal elected officials doing about this? I'll just take a couple of key examples of what's been going on and what is noticeably absent. Senator Chuck Schumer, the Senate Minority Leader for the Democrats, uh, has been tweeting every day for several weeks, um, tweets like the following. It's May 30th and President Trump still doesn't have an adequate national testing strategy, unquote. Of course, that's from May 30th from Chuck Schumer's Twitter account. Well, on May 11th, Doctors Without Borders had to come into the Navajo Nation to help the grave situation there. According to CBS News report, uh, the Doctors Without Borders is best known for sending medical professionals into international conflict zones in the midst of medical crises. The organization has teams in Afghanistan, Iran, Sierra Leone, Venezuela, and 66 other countries. It, it did not, however, have a medical presence in the United States until now, May 11th. So today is June 13th, day 33, after it was reported that Doctors Without Borders had to come into the Navajo Nation, into the territory of the United States, because tribes don't have full sovereignty, it's U.S. soil. Where is the outrage? Where was Chuck Schumer then, on May 11th? Where has he been over the last 33 days? Where's Nancy Pelosi and her Indian garb, like her African garb from the other day? Maybe she can spare us all of that. Where's Trump, our quote-unquote least, least racist president? Where's the Senate? Where are the anti-globalist conservatives? Where are the signs at the marches about this crisis? I actually was talking to an elderly woman today, yesterday actually, and she told me, you know what? And there's that the shame piece that I mentioned earlier, and it's about bootlegging. And she said, you know what? I'm going to go to these bootleggers. I'm going to be protesting in my own Navajo Nation. I don't need to go anywhere else. I have enough mm. problems here as it is. They're like, of course, we stand with mm. our brothers and sisters. Mm. And I think this would be a call out to all all people, not mm -hmm. just minorities, but I think any five-finger people to have right. this a heart and a mind and, and to really dig into the soul and look at people and say, oh my gosh, now how can we get you running water? As you'll see in the interview with Council Delegate Brown, we talk briefly about House Resolution 6422, the call for a national infrastructure bank, the National Infrastructure Bank Act of 2020. The call for a $4 trillion national infrastructure bank, the call for uh, 25 to 30 million new infrastructure jobs, the call for a new TVA, a new WPA, a new CCC, Civilian Conservation Corps. This is from a December 20th, 2018 article in the Navajo Times by Cindy Yurth. Quote, between 1933 and 1942, the Civilian Conservation Corps employed 3 million jobless men and a few women, including my grandfather, her grandfather, and then mine, parenthetically, great-grandfather here in Los Angeles, and quite possibly yours. 
Vestiges of their work, buildings, conservation projects, even murals and musical compositions survive today in every state in the country. What many Americans don't know is that the CCC had an Indian division that employed 85,000 Native Americans, usually on their own reservations, unquote. What we can do again today with the WPACCC model, these types of projects, is we can address these issues like no running water or a food desert in the Navajo Nation in the way that we did back in the 1930s. Uh, having learned those lessons, we can obviously correct certain mistakes. Um, in the 1930s, there was discrimination uh, against African-Americans and other minorities uh, in the CCCs and WPA uh, programs. But we can make good on what those projects brought to the American people. We need to act soon. We need to act now. My interview with Navajo Nation Council Delegate Nathaniel Brown was conducted on the evening of Friday, June 12th. But first, this is Diné College Professor Avery Denny from last month's graduation ceremony at Diné College. I've been here for 30 years, and this is my 30th graduation, singing these songs for all the graduates. This song that I chose to sing for all of you is a journey song. You call it That's what this song says, a journey song into the future. It's going to be a blessing song too. Welcome back to New Deal Radio. I have on the line with me uh, Nathaniel Brown. Uh, Nathaniel Brown is a member of the Navajo Nation uh, Council, uh, a 24-member uh, council of the legislative branch of the Navajo Nation. And uh, we are honored to have you. Mr. Brown, you there? Yes. Yeah. So thank you, Robert. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being on. I know you were very busy, and uh, we have uh, an extraordinary crisis that I've been monitoring from California uh, that I see in the Navajo Nation. And you're there on the ground. Um, I know in a couple of previous episodes we've talked about some of the news we've gotten uh, 
of the Navajo Nation having the highest per capita rates of uh, COVID-19 cases. We heard uh, the story that one-third of the Navajo Nation was without running water. And then we heard during May that the situation had gotten so dire and the gap between the reality and the response from our federal government uh, created a situation where the where Doctors Without Borders had to come into the Navajo Nation. Uh, what can you tell us as an update what is happening and uh, what your perspective is on what can be done? Well, thank you. Um, again, um, I represent Chokchimbito, Danahoto, and Kayenta communities on the western um, side of the Navajo Nation. Um, thank you, Robert, for having me. Um, <clears throat> thank you. Uh, well, one of the biggest reasons why I think I know for a fact that people on the outside don't know why the numbers are so high on the Navajo Nation, one of the big uh, reasons is on the Navajo Nation, we have about over 30% of the population are without running water. They're without basic infrastructure, sanitation. Um, when you are telling a huge group of people to wash their hands regularly, to wash your clothes, to jump in the shower after they come home from, you know, for essentials or from work, and you, they don't have the same luxury. Um, water, um, the other day I was in Denahoto last week, and I was tending to, to the water there, and we have our people with big tanks of water um, and getting water. So one, one young lady told me, this is going to be my fourth trip. Um, we, I have to, you know, this is only potable water. We have to put it into the system. And, and then I have to still haul water from the windmill, which is for the livestock and the plants. So it's, it's the basic infrastructure that the Navajo Nation, our Navajo people do not have access to right now. So, um, and the other thing is, another thing that that's really, it's kind of a shame piece, and that's really, you know, Navajo Nation, um, there's a prohibition on alcohol and, of course, illegal drugs. And right now what we're finding out and what I'm really working and where we're combating um, bootlegging on the Navajo Nation. And I know within our communities we have people, instead of social distancing, they're social drinking. They are passing around the 40s bottle, and, of course, they're not going to be in their right mind to to constantly wash your hands, to wear a face mask, and to distance each other. So that's another um, reason why our numbers are high. But the biggest one would be the lack of running water. Yeah. Well, on that point, um, I remember in reading when the, when the Doctors Without Borders came in, one of the people that came in, I believe it was four individuals representing Doctors Without Borders. One of them was a water expert. Do you know much about... Um, what happened there and what the plans might be from that organization? Uh, yes. Well, the Doctors Without Borders are in Kayenta at the local IHS um, hospital there in Kayenta. I met with them once, and um, pretty much they're just there, actually, to educate our Navajo people why we're asking to wash your hands for 20 seconds, why... Yeah. They're basically doing the, the basic education. So they're not really there mm. um, helping patients directly. So they're more there. They're, they're there to educate um, our Navajo people. Um, right. So we, we've been working with them, um, trying to hire 
um, not higher, but kind of um, use some of our current Navajo Nation employees who are not considered non-essential, who are home, they're getting paid, but they are not working. So we wanted to repurpose them and be the boots on the ground, of course, with proper PPEs and the proper education to teach everyone why we're asking people, the, the, you know, everything about uh, COVID, this novel virus, whatever we know of mm-hmm. so far. So they're, they're, so they're really um, just there for educating our people and nothing more, according to my understanding, after meeting with them. I wish that they were really there longer and mm-hmm. also besides education would be um, right now like to help the nurses, the doctors, to um, see patients and to help our doctors because IHS, we already have across I I know it's not just the Navajo Nation, but it is across Indian country that we don't have a lot of our own Native American doctors. We don't have a, we do have some Navajo doctors, nurses. However, you know they're only there for a year or two, or until they get their loan um, medical bill um, repaid, and then they leave because they, they no one can own land on trust land. And usually mm-hmm. small communities like my communities don't have what doctors want for their kids. They want private education. They want karate, mm-hmm. ballet, music. And we just simply don't have that for them as well. So that's what they tell me when I meet with doctors. They're very, they're wonderful. Majority of awesome. Um, they have come and, and, and some have are, are staying for the long haul. They are, they're definitely here in our Navajo communities for the long haul and they are really helping. But, I say a good number of them, they they end up leaving. So that's why we're working mm-hmm. on a growing our own initiative. The only way we can really combat and the doctor shortages and all the specialty areas is to really start having our Navajo children, our Native American kids, shadow doctors, nurses, all the other specialty areas within the Indian Health Services, right? We can have them shadow them. So they're really using all their senses. And then we've tried this with Winslow Indian Health Center um, with 12 students um, two weeks at a time. And when I met with them, oh, my gosh, they, they, had, they were just really excited. They're like, I can do this. I'll be, I'm going to become a doctor. And mm-hmm. they, they had terms that I can't even um, enunciate. <laughs> They're just like, I'm going to do this. Oh, did you know this? You know, mm-hmm. they really understood, like, um, where the root of diabetes, where, where – um, Certain, you know, meeting with eye doctors, with a dentist, they were really understanding um, what was in our water and what's causing some of these um, issues, health impacts with with Native Americans. So that was really yeah. good to have them be immersed and to be really excited. Yeah. yeah. No, that's great. That sounds like a, a ray of hope in this uh, definitely dark and challenging time. Um, I wanted to say something to you about this question of shame because I, I was talking to a state representative in Michigan uh, just a couple weeks ago about, of course, the fallout from the George Floyd murder uh, and the protests that were going on. And one of the things I brought up with him was this question of what was happening on the Navajo Nation when I, when I mentioned that one-third of the Navajo Nation does not have running water and that Doctors Without Borders had to come in on the COVID crisis. He interrupted me and said, now, isn't that a shame? Isn't that a shame that here we are, United States of America, and we had to have that. So the shame is also on us as a country. And this African-American state representative who's dealing with the George Floyd crisis was even himself, and also things like the Flint water crisis, uh, was 
quick to say this is a shame. This should not be, you know, happening in the year uh, 2020. Um, so I just wanted to share that with you, that, that there's other levels of shame that uh, encompass every American citizen right now uh, on this question. Um, you know, it does strike me that, you know, you had Nancy Pelosi and some others, again, my, my opinion on this, but they took a knee with these African scarves on about George Floyd. But to this day, they have not said a word in the House or the Senate about these conditions on the Navajo Nation, at least commensurate with what uh, activists like myself believe should be done, you know, about this situation. Um, we, we have this bill, uh, House Resolution 6422, that was introduced into the Congress on March 31st um, that you may have not had a chance to read yet, but just uh, it does call for a $4 trillion national infrastructure bank um, that we envision the, the federal government working with tribes, working with states to make sure that we get a full uh, list of what Navajo Nation was prioritized in terms of infrastructure you know, leading with water and power. Um, do you think this concept of a national infrastructure bank, public works, kind of in the tradition of what the Tennessee Valley Authority and the WPA meant in the 1930s, that something like that, you know, coming out of this crisis could help the Navajo Nation? Definitely, yes. Um, as we speak on the Navajo Nation Council, we literally meet on our seven days a week talking about water infrastructure is our number one priority with Mm -hmm. this um, CARES Act funding that will be coming in. And before, we've always been focused on water and infrastructure, basic sanitation, ever since we've been here. Um, water, mm -hmm. not just for sanitation, water for farming. Um, where I live in Kayenta and Benahotso, the two communities, we have a farm board. I mean, if you think about also true sustainability to any community, any community, would be to grow our own food, to have enough water, to mm -hmm. have, instead of waiting for the government saying, give me this, give me this. So we have been working yeah. on, on a lot. We have been dry farming for a number of years. Unfortunately, recently, for the past 20-plus years, some of our, including myself, we haven't really gone back to farming. We do small gardening, but nothing. We should, every nation... Um, in the United States should have, and maybe some do, I, I'm not really sure, I'm sure, some, I'm sure some other tribes do have a storage of massive amount of seeds, especially in the Midwest, they have access to water, they have access to, to, to an abundance of water. But here mm -hmm. on the nation, where I live, besides the San Juan River, in, in central Arizona, you know, we depend on the monsoons to water our dry farms. So, and if mm -hmm. that doesn't come, and last week, this past week, we had three full straight days of over a 50-mile-an-hour wind. So, I've mm -hmm. seen people, when they planted, like, their corn, they were mm -hmm. growing really good, but the wind just blew them out. And it was heartbreaking. So, it, yeah. it is, so, um, we we are planning that, and definitely that will help. And then, with this CARES Act, we want to, but we have an expiration date. And again, is this another way for the federal government setting setting up Indian country for, you know, they're just, it's just upsetting um, mm -hmm. for failure. They're just setting up for failure um, with this timeline. And what happens in the next seven months? There's going to be another election. And then yeah. CDC, FEMA, yeah. they've been, and the whole world knows that there's going to be a second wave of this virus, of this COVID-19. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, if you have that knowledge, why are you going to put an expiration date 
on funding. Mm. It's, it's called a relief funding for a reason. And if right. we're just going to put expiration date, especially people without running water, we just simply don't have the manpower also. There's not enough engineers that will put thousands and thousands of homes to give them water. And then, yeah. of course, there, there's like other issues like Internet. You know, kids, kids yeah. don't have access to um, right. Wi-Fi, um, um, fresh uh, fruit. And you mentioned earlier about this racism and then, um, you know, Black mm -hmm. Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. um, when we – I actually was talking to an elderly woman today, yesterday actually, and she told me, you know what? And there's that the shame piece that I mentioned earlier, and it's about bootlegging. And she said, you know what? I'm going to go to these bootleggers. I'm going to be protesting in my own Navajo Nation. I don't need to go anywhere else. I have enough mm. problems here as it is. They're like, of course, we stand mm. with our brothers and sisters. Mm. And I think this would be a call out to all all people, not mm -hmm. just minorities, but I think any five-finger people to have right. this. The, the heart and a mind and, and to really dig into the soul and look at people and say, oh, my gosh, now how can we get you running water? I know Navajo Tribal Utility Authority, last year they did this with electricity. It was um, called um, Light Up Navajo, and they had over about 50-plus companies throughout the United States, um, multiple municipalities from all over the United States. They, they came they drove down to the Navajo Nation and of course the Navajo Nation paid for the wiring and everything else but the labor and everything was free so they were able to light up over I believe um, over 400 homes on Navajo with a span like during last summer so we want to do more mm -hmm. projects like that so we're, mm -hmm. we're moving in that direction and then it takes innovative creative thinking outside the box and then but unfortunately with the Navajo Nation and other tribes, you know, there's a lot of red tape. We have put a lot of bureaucratic tape on a lot of this. And it's, it's not because – some of it is because of the federal laws, but some of it mm -hmm. is because, unfortunately, previous leadership have misused funding. And I think we need to talk about that corruption also. The reason why there's so much red tape in tribal communities is our own people doing that also. So it's, it's a very systemic issue. And we, I'm proud that last council and this council has been dealing with that. I mean, I called mm -hmm. out one of our chapter elected chapter presidents, and she stepped down. So I want to continue to talk about that. So we want to teach mm -hmm. our kids that that is not okay also. And that goes for their federal government also. Mm -hmm. So, so there's, I mean, when we talk about racism, I found recently there's racism in everything, including mm -hmm. racism in food. Like when they took us on the long walk, when they brought us back, you know, the people that barely survived or Navajo people that survived, mm. what kind of food did they put in a box, in a commodity mm. box? It was syrup or corn syrup, uh, white flour, canned meat, um, lard, basically everything that is so bad for for our bodies. Yeah, Corn syrup is the most, it's the most horrible thing you can put in your body. All those foods in some countries, they're banned. But mm -hmm. in the United States, they deliberately have this. There must be some evil genius that sits out there <laughs> that just plans this on minorities mainly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it certainly appears that they've been successful in doing that.
too way too many of our communities. No, I, I but we're I waking up. We're waking up. You know, we're waking up, yeah. and we're aware, and we are not. We, we and the wonderful thing about this journey right now is we are becoming more. We have wonderful allies that are mm-hmm. so many different colors, including the Lagana people, white people. We have them as allies. I'm a part of this wonderful organization, Cope and uh, medic and we we've been talking about racism for about the last four years at this international and national level and it's been really good conversations with so many races all in one spot um doctors nurses community leaders um all across everywhere so it's Mm -hmm. we this this conversation with this organization has been going on like diane applebaum has been doing wonderful work with so many other doctors from across the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to bring up something with you, which is that uh, a lot of things you're talking about make me think of some of the conversations I've had in previous episodes around this question of the parallels between today and 1968. Uh, it was 52 years ago, but you have, you know, you had the Watts riots in 1965 here in Southern California. You had the Rodney King riots in 1992, all over the same issue of not just racism, but the systemic economic uh, situation in the black community. Um, as this state rep from Michigan said last week, he said, you know, in the black community, we're in a permanent recession, you know, and I think you see some of the similar kinds of conditions in Indian country. Uh, do, you, do you see a, a, a parallel or I should say an opportunity to have the kind of, of radical changes we need in 2020, uh, but do you also see the potential to even do better than we did coming out of the 60s because in my view we really didn't solve a lot of these things a lot of these things have gotten worse you know yes i think we are um in a perfect time like the last election how many minorities and females got into congress Mm -hmm. we are moving in that direction how many native americans you know it's it's amazing to have deb holland sharice davis and other minority groups that really understand and have lived in the trenches with us, that have lived on mm-hmm. reservations with us, who understand and can speak to what alcoholism, what um, the lack of infrastructure, running water, socioeconomics, mm-hmm. education, um, you know, even f- food deserts. There's so many deserts in our desert. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's really changed lately just because of the introduction of fast food, grocery stores at the masses before. Our people really depended on farming when I was a kid. But, you know, when I walked to school with my cousins, we would jump the fence or we would climb an apricot tree, even though when they weren't ripe, we would eat them because they were nice and sour. And then we would (laughs) jump the fence and we would get, like, a (laughs) cantaloupe or watermelon. And after school, we would we would jump over the fence and we would get um, corn and we would sit in the middle and just roast it. So even the the trading post, we didn't have the luxury of going over there and just buying um, horrible, you know, um, Mm -hmm. sugar, carbs, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Now we have such an easy access and there's the lack of education in that. So we, we, we need to retrain our people and the reason why, if you look at um, COVID-19, this novel coronavirus, who is, who's being impacted the most? It's the minority communities. And with Navajo, we see the highest numbers. 
because we have a lot of individuals that have health issues. Number one, diabetes, other heart conditions, um, other health issues that attribute things mostly to the the types of food that we're exposed to and what we consider. Un- unfortunately, there's still people that I know that call Navajo taco, well, Indian taco, and um, other foods like Spam. No, 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 people. Spam. Corn beef hats. It's so bad for you. No. Corn um, flakes. Don't give your children sugary stuff. Water, you know. I mean, some, if we go around, I guarantee you, if we were just to drive around my communities and you'll, we'll probably, well, on a non-COVID day when you're, when people out and about, or even let's just go to bashes and you will see the 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 amount of people just buying hot Cheetos, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. lard, white bleach flour, all of that is there anything that is good for your body in there? No, your when you your body is your pancreas is trying to produce insulin just to just mm-hmm. to um, break the sugar down, even dairy. And a lot of our people don't know this. And then if you introduce some some novel virus. Your body mm. sucks. It's like, yeah, what what the hell is going on? You know, excuse my French, but no, yeah. Well, that's the thing is that the Navajo Nation, in particular, uh, but some of these other communities, like we talked about Detroit, in terms of the the African American community, uh, communities that are put down uh, throughout Indian country and other parts of the, the, the United States that are put down into these economic conditions are are kind of the canary in the coal mine. That if if we continue to do this, we, we will destroy ourselves and, and now now is really the time to begin to reverse that. Um you, you mentioned these native native candidates. We have at least two more that I know of in the, the Mountain West, uh Rudy Soto in um Idaho who just won his primary and uh Darren Perry in uh uh northern Utah. Um what's what's your sense of, of how much between those campaigns and the incumbents you have now how much more leverage you have to to discuss these issues with members of Congress so that really, in my opinion, we stop letting them get off the hook with uh, some of their do-goods. Oh, my gosh. Um, I want to add another person who's running, and I believe she will do <laughs> Please. Lynette, Lynette Grable. Um, I, I call her one of our mountain changers, our mountain movers, um, hmm. who has always been there, you know, really working on a lot of um, human trafficking initiative, Native Americans, uh, missing and murdered indigenous, um, breaking, you know, bring, you know, just building communities, building more sustainability, not just on Indian country, but everywhere, um, and North Dakota. So she, she's been awesome. I'm glad she's running. And I think, um, we, we need to tell our own story, um, in Indian country. We need to tell our own story. I think yeah. for so long, Bureau of Indian Affairs, BIA, BIE have been trying to tell our stories. We know public laws that do not work for us. In fact, what they do is they, they're supposed to make Native Americans chase their tails around just with a home site lease initiative. On our own nation, they're supposed to make us fight. And guess what it's doing? It's very successful, and we're missing out on the bigger picture. I think right now I, I know there's a lot of wonderful Native people in NCAI in Washington, around the globe, even the the Nest Studies Conference Incorporated. I call them my Navajo think tank. Majority mm-hmm. of them are Navajo PhDs and we talk about real issues, about big issues. 
one of the biggest topics we were talking about was how do we get more Native Americans to Congress and Senate at the federal level? Mm-hmm. And I think um, with that conversation, it's really we need to start grooming them. We need to start grooming them um, from from a younger age and having them yeah. speak the language. That's what we need to start doing. And then, and then it's it's more. We need to even be. It's kind of like with Obama, right? He had to work ten times harder, and he had to keep himself so much cleaner. Also, being mm-hmm. in the White House. No, um, it would be different with a minority being in office. But um, mm-hmm. I, I know that's changing. I, I know Mr. Uh, Darren Perry. Um, I know him through the Utah um, um, Utah tribal leaders. So I'm mm-hmm. glad that he's doing well. So that's awesome. Congratulations, Darren. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's definitely changing the uh, the dialogue and the, the what people see on the horizon for the future in the Mountain West, which is a very important part of Indian country from what I've seen. Um, well, I wanted to uh, thank you for your time. I know you're, you're busy, and if there's any uh, last words you have for today on uh, what's, what's happening there, I know that uh, President Nez uh, was having a, uh, a Facebook Live event right now, um, and uh, there's been more, more and more dialogue, and I, I want to wish you luck on, on uh, all the best on what you're doing as far as the uh, internal situation that you're, you addressed. But anything else you'd like to say? Uh, yes, Robert. Um, thank you, and for your podcast for this time for allowing me um, to speak with you and to shed light on some of the um, during this pandemic. I think above all else, I just want to reassure my Navajo people and Indian country and our brothers and sisters out there um, that we will get through this as Navajo people. We have been great people even before contact, before Christopher Columbus came. After that, you know, our world has been changing drastically so much. Um, unfortunately, you know, tribes have been losing their language, their way of life. But with specifically speaking for Navajo, you know, on the long walk, we were met. They were trying to kill us off. But what happened? It was because of our Navajo women and men working together. Um, we came home, even with the horrible food that was given to us, with our prayers, with, and we still have them. There is so much hope, and today, you know, possibly one of my chapters that I had a meeting at, even though there's only four of us elected people in there, there was a possible exposure, mm. and we, one person broke down, just dropped to the floor crying, and mm. after a while, we we got up. We, we dusted ourselves off, and we prayed. We, we we burned our cedar, and I went home, and I, you know, boiled more um, lightning weight herbs, and I drank a half a gallon of it. And mm-hmm. I just prayed. I, I, you know, we have our paraphernalias. We have our arrowheads. We have our traditional um, herbal medicine. Um, as simple as sage, and there's multiple different types of sage. You can either burn it or boil it and drink it and put it on your home, and just that, um, you can calm yourself down. I know that a lot of our people out there are dealing with anxiety. Um, when you listen to the news and social media day in, day out, you will almost have, it's kind of like the first-year medical student, right? Like They're like, oh, my gosh, I have all these symptoms, too. 
and I hear that from my family, and I get that sometimes. But right now, what I focus on is really on prayer, and I call upon our ancestors. I call upon my Muslim and my Che and ask him to be present with me. So it always, it never fails. It really um, helps me when I do um, call my family who are struggling with anxiety. Um, they always feel better. They're like, wow, uncle, well, brother, my, my headache went away. We have that. Mm-hmm. And we have so much more to that also. We have our sweat lodges. So I just want to tell everyone, we're in this together. We're going to lean into this, and we're going to get through it. We we have been through so much. We are strong. Um, it's just, but don't ever forget to everyone who's out there listening to this. This is a valuable time where we are all being taught something. Mm-hmm. And the biggest teaching for me through one of my dreams that my my auntie um, Lucy came to me, she said, you guys are worried about the, the petty little things. And I said, what is it? She, she said, something's coming. This was back in January. And she mm-hmm. said, please give our offerings to Mother Earth, to to the mountains, to all of nature, the animals and the plants. I think we have become such such surface people that we are forgetting to take time to pray in the morning, to run and to eat better, to plant and to really um, give thanks to nature. We're so busy. We're so worried about money, bills. I'm trying to look good that we're forgetting the very basic who we are as Native Americans. As mm-hmm. humans, we need to remember Mother Earth. So that's what I would tell everyone. Thank you so much. Well, well thank you. Thank you, Councilman. Councilman Nathaniel Brown of the Navajo Nation. We'll be praying for you, and uh, we hope to talk to you very soon in the future. Take care. All right. Thank you. Have a good evening. Thank you for listening to New Deal Radio, a weekly podcast brought to you by the New Deal Group. Please visit us at newdealnow.org and feel free to contact me directly, robert at newdealgroup.com.